to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. We are going to be in spending our time in Luke chapter 12, if you want to turn there. Um, the slides will be provided up there as far as the scriptures we'll cover, but if you want to turn your Bible or your device, um, this will be uh, looking at that parable of the rich fool. Um, the um, main idea that we want to see here um, as we get into it um, is uh, life is defined by our creator and in the new identity of our redeemer. So be aware of your heart desires and tendencies to forget the kingdom trying to squeeze life and meaning out of substitutes. So again, we're going to see that idea of um, Jesus giving this warning at first, but then also um, as he goes through it, he's going to piece all of this together to see that that life, he keeps mentioning this idea of life, and that life is defined in a certain way and is attached to our identity in Christ and also um, our identity in the new kingdom. And so um, the things that we're going to walk through these three main areas uh, today is, uh, number one, from rational riches to radical reorientation. Um, so rational riches, meaning this, this first guy that we're going to see in this parable that asks this question, and then the, um, the, the, the made-up guy in the parable um, is, is operating out of very rational thinking. And so Jesus is going to move our thinking from that to that of radical reorientation. Is that humming real bad? I don't know. Is that echoing for you guys? Um, for, for me, it's, it's, it's echoing real bad. But if it's good out there, that's fine. Um, then the second thing we're going to see is from radical reorientation to radical rest. He's going to be moving us to our, our thoughts and our hearts to radical rest, where we're looking to trust and rest in, in God. And then also, the last thing is moving from radical rest to radical riches. So um, let me read through this. If you want to join me, we'll read, and then we'll pray. Um, we'll read um, Luke chapter 12, and, and we're going to start in verse um, 13. This air conditioner keeps blowing my uh, pages over, so I have to keep turning back. So starting in um, verse 13, and we'll go through 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. So relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. 
and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gracious gift of your word, but, but your word just leads us to the essence of who you are, to, to your heart. For us to get a glimpse of the way you are wired and, and the contrasting way that we are wired. And so we thank you for this gift of grace that confronts us, our thinking, and, and in this example, Father, a very rational, normal way of thinking for most of us. And you confront that and you give us a clearer view of what it looks like to live with eternal perspective. So help us, Father, um, especially as we think through what this means in our application of this. Um, will, will you guard us from, from justifying ourselves and justifying our motives? And, and at the same time, guard us from trying to um, earn our way towards you through ascetics or trying to um, take this out of its context and do much more than what you're asking here. Would you help us to understand what resting in you looks like, what, what treasuring you looks like, what, what being involved in the kingdom really looks like for our lives. In your name we pray, amen. So um, this, this particular parable, um, it's, it's a great one, um, and this whole section here, um, Jesus kind of pieces it together. He had actually been warning in the context there, if you go backwards in 12, uh, chapter 12, he, he, he was starting out talking about the Pharisees and just be, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Um, and then he, and then he talked about, um, don't be fearful of those who would kill the body, but who have no control over the soul. But then at the end, we see he, he makes this emphasis on, you should be concerned about the soul. And so, um, um, and, then, and then he goes on about the warning of not um, 
speaking and proclaiming the truth of the gospel, a fear of man to where you'd be worried about that. And then he goes into this part, um, uh, and he goes into the parable. And so um, God has been using this particular little section, I can't tell you, maybe six to seven to eight times since even October, November, December of last year, and then getting into the early months of this year, January, February, March, April, um, and then even into the summer and into the fall um, for my particular life. So um, this I, may, may be mainly just for me that God is continuing to just open this up and, and tear up new ground and tear up new ground. Um, and through many, many situations and, and scenarios, I would be turning and reading in daily devotionals. I would be turning and reading in different sections, and God kept bringing me back to this. And um, later in the future, I hope I'm able to share with you guys, you know, some of what the the the, the practicalities of that look like. And so, just to see that He 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 walks us along, and I would be in a new book or a new thing, and it would draw me to this section. I literally sometimes just I would stop and pause and just be broken in tears. Years, um, thanking him, but also him saying, but I'm letting you know this isn't easy because this sounds good. And like I said, um, the, you read these things like, yeah, I want to be that type of Christian. I want to be one of the Jason Bourne type Christians. And you wouldn't even worry about what I would eat. Wouldn't even worry what I would drink, what, what I would wear. Like we, we think that we want to do that until God goes, hey, let me put you in some scenarios where you're, and you're like, hey, uh, I really like a lot of security though. I'd like to know that. Could I do that like on a two hour time span, not like a week or, or, or two months or, or you know, a year or something. And so um, God really brings out some things in our hearts um, when you get in that situation. And so, um, again, this has been a very, very uh, influential um, section that God keeps bringing me back to. Um, There are going to be people around us, around you. Um, I'm surrounded by them here. Um, I'm kind of amazed at times with incredible gifts. People are going to have gifts and abilities, intelligence, ideas, and some are, are, then there's going to be some who are just going to just gut it out to get riches. Some people have brilliant, brilliant minds and just abilities. Some people have worked for 20 and 30 and 40 years, and now the fruit of that comes about. And so this guy is one of those, the guy that that, that we're going to be introduced in this parable. He, he's, he's done a, a good job. Um, God has blessed the resources, and he's, he's turned into this extremely rich, profitable person. Um, sometimes what we're going to see here is there can be people who, in the world's eyes, it looks like they're, they're just doing everything right, but yet God, as we see in this, is proclaiming to him, you fool, you've missed it. You've done all of these things, but you've missed it. How did you, how did you have so much success and so much intelligence and so much gifting, and yet you don't even understand what life is actually about? And so Jesus is going to reorient us that. And, and like I said in the first thing here, uh, the first point there, from rational riches to radical reorientation. Um, you're going to be around people who have incredible wealth, and yet you, you look at you know, what they drive, their house, the companies they have, and you're going to go, I don't know if this guy can pour water out of a boot. Like, I mean, on some practical matters, I don't know if he even understands his, his lack of social graces with people, his lack of understanding how to treat people, um, his complete lack of, uh, of, of understanding about God. Um, I, I'm blown away by that sometimes. And so um, as we go through this, 
I want you to see that there's, there's going to be people around you like that. They're going to have um, those type of riches. And we're going to see that uh, we, we label this, we kind of know the story, and we know that Jesus kind of flips the story. But I, I hope that what you're able to see is this, this guy in the parable, this is probably someone that we would like to be like. It's not someone that we see and are warned against. It's actually probably someone that we look up to and that we probably esteem and we we don't even realize it. So let's look at this first little section here. Um, the first guy comes up and notice Jesus has been in a section of teaching. Like I said in chapter twelve, he's been going through these different warnings and different warnings and different things. And then this guy just seems to interrupt him from the crowd. Um, he he just speaks up and says, "Hey, teacher." So he gives a little bit of authority to Jesus. He's he's uh, surrendering a little bit of authority, calling him teacher, which was a respected thing, and just says, "Hey." Help me get my inheritance for my brother. Um, and this guy, and, and think through this. We know the story. We know where Jesus takes this. But this guy's concern is not such an evil thing, is it? So we, we, we know where Jesus flips it and turns it. But this guy has legitimate concerns. He has valid concerns. He even has just concerns. They're, they're valid. Um, and it, it's seemingly important. So before we judge this guy too quickly, before we condemn him too harshly, have you thought through your requests that you make before God? Just think through, are your thoughts and your prayer requests often concerning finances, financial needs? So what this guy's coming to Jesus for. Is that what you regularly bring before God, concerns about finances? Even, even if you're not poor and, and like, we really, really, really need you to do something. If you're doing all right, middle class, doing really well, the decision-making, you know, hey, God, I'm, we're, we're really trying to make really wise decisions. And a lot of our prayers are about finances and money and, and, and riches. Um, how often are your prayers concerning something that someone has done wrong to you, like this guy? My brother has done something wrong here. I need you to step in and fix this inheritance issue. How much of our prayers are either about finances, our needs, or about you being wronged? So this guy's much more like us than we would like to first admit. How often are your prayer requests about your well-being, whether it's your physical health, your emotional health? How much of your, your, your prayers and stuff are, are focused on that? So we can see this guy in the crowd may not, may not be completely unlike us. And we just went through the, the parable of the persistent widow uh, a week or two ago. Um, are you a faithful and persistent person in prayer like we saw in the parable? Um, and if you are a person, because a lot of people would say, actually, I'm not that persistent in prayer. But if you are a kind of a prayer warrior, what type of things are you persistent in pleading to God about? Again, if we're not careful, hey, I'm checking the box. I am better at prayer, but now this one reveals, man, my prayers are very selfish. My, my, my own health, my needs, my wants, my, they hurt my feelings. God, take care of them. You don't have to kill them, but just, you know, maybe a couple of flats and maybe a car wreck and let them get injured so they'll realize that they hurt me. And so um, if we're not careful, we're... we're we're kind of selfish in those things. Um, notice the interesting response of Jesus. Uh, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, 
See, this right here. I'm going to use this example of this guy saying this and interrupting me. Say, did you catch this? This right here. This is a danger lurking in the depths of your heart. It's a dangerous threat to your very soul. Just this, this one little statement. Um, how would we like that um, if you came to a, uh, a really good friend of yours or even maybe a spiritual leader, a pastor or a counselor, or someone you really respect, an older adult, and you kind of brought up something, hey, man, we, we've got this family member and they just they, they kind of ripped us out of this inheritance. And they, they kind of come back with the one-two punch that Jesus says, first of all, your financial future and security is not what we should be talking about. You just be like, I come to you as a trusted leader. You know, the reason I come to you, and then they, they turn it into, but let's talk about all types of covetousness and greed and how these very easily become what you're living for. You'd just be like, hey, man, I, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't even talk to you. Like, so this happens publicly with this guy, right? And so um, the, Jesus is going to move us from rational riches to radical reorientation. And again, I hope that you see if we're not careful, this place of rational riches is kind of the goal for many of us. Rational riches, the way you handle those things, is kind of where we're headed. It's the trajectory we all look at as success. Um, Jesus brings this out. Um, let's look at this guy in this parable. I want us to see how normal and how rational this guy is. Um, Jesus says there, hey, just keep turning. There's a, there's a man, and his land produced plentifully. So just think right there. So this guy had, he, he was a man who was a man of means because you had, you know, the 1% who owned stuff and owned land, and then everyone else kind of served and worked their own land or, they, or didn't work their own land. They worked on other people's land, and then they, they had one day's worth of food, one day's worth of of. of necessities. They didn't have a Costco or Sam's where they had, you know, two weeks or a month's worth of food stocked up. And so this guy is a man of means. He's been successful and not only is he successful and he, he owns some things, it's been very, very successful. It's produced much all the way to the point that he says, um, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all my crops. So this guy is, is actually kind of like a successful guy that's followed, maybe in our time, the Dave Ramsey plan. He's, he's taken his finances, he's worked things out, he's followed the Dave Ramsey plan. In fact, maybe he is Dave Ramsey. Like, um, man, you have this little idea for helping Christians with their finances. The next thing, your net worth is $245 million dollars. So, so that little mantra of live like no one else now, so later you can live like no one else, this is what this guy's done. This is exactly what he's done. This is the trajectory, even in the Christian church. Do this and you'll be successful. And he's done it and he's made it to the top. Now, you have to make choices along the way. You have to, you have to keep, keep, keep storing and storing and storing because if you keep on giving and giving away, you're never going to get to that amount. And it's scary if you ever uh, meet with those people that talk about your retirement and those things. Um, they'll, they'll ask you, like, well, it's 2022. Do you know um, you've, got, you've got 20 years left? Do you know in, in 2042 how much it's going to cost to retire? And you're just like, 
No, and they're like, it's probably going to be about $2.4 million. And you're just like, oh, I, I think I need a raise. You know, like they, they lay out for you like all this stuff. Uh, like I've told you, uh, many people around our life, uh, they're just you know, successful in different things. And I'll, I'll have guys who literally are working 60, 65, 70 hours a week. They've got two or three kids. And, and, and the wife's like, can we just take a week's vacation? Can we take like four days? And, and they, they can't because they're, they're stocking away because we've got to have eighty to 100,000 stocked away, untouched for each child for them to go to college. So we can't take this you know, $5,000, $4,000 vacation because we've got to have that stocked away. And so we, we know people that, that that happens. Again, if we're not careful, we, we kind of get this idea. This is what, what is the goal. If we're honest, I think that we'd be impressed by this guy. If he was in our church, in his business, we knew of his business and we saw what he had done and you watched for about 10 years, I think that we'd be impressed. And to be honest, I probably would want to be that guy. So it's interesting, our boys now that we, we run these different crowds and stuff, and so we've been at uh, probably 10, but at least four or five things where um, they do a really great job here of, of hey, this this group of boys and dads, we're going to get together and we're going to go over this this guy's and they're having a big, huge cookout for all the boys. And it is, it's spiritual. They, they have a teaching going on and it's really, they want this discipleship base. But literally, I walk into the, you know, the house, first of all, is just like, oh my goodness. Like NBA players, NFL players don't have this house. There, there's, there's been four times when me and other guys, we have our phone out just taking a video of just the backyard. Like, it's not a carnival. It's just the backyard. It's so cool. Like, there's like 10 guys just doing this, you know. And some of the guys are super, super humble and kind. And I'm sure they give away a ton of everything. But you're just, are you kidding me? Like, if heaven is like worse off than this, I'll be so happy for all eternity. Like, if it's got this kind of turf and this kind of pool and this kind of stuff. Like, and, and so there's literally like, you know, these other guys are much more successful than that. And everyone's still just filming like, this is off the charts. And so um, if we're honest, some of us, we really hope that that happens. I, I only, not only like that, but like I would want that to be in my future. That's what I'm aiming for. So let's be careful because we kind of know Jesus flips this story. But actually, I mean, this guy may not be Elon Musk, but I mean, he's some successful person around your life that you look at and really we're wanting to be like him. And we'll come back to this, but, but this guy is rational in his riches and his plans. So successful that you can retire early. More than enough is what he said. I've got more than enough to put back. So Jesus says this, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so, so this idea of moving from rational riches... And what we've been taught that this is what we should have to be careful and be on your guard. So the, the words here, horao, it's beware. Be aware to pause, to stare at something and study it so that you can continually be, um, so, so that you can discern clearly. So, so pause and take time to look at this. Be aware of it, this scenario so that you can discern something out of it. That's what that, that, that word means there. Be aware of this. And he says, fulazo, um, so to guard, to keep watching continually. So your heart, not, not, not the stuff, 
but to keep watching your heart continually. Oh, it happens again. It happens again. It happens again. You're being tempted over and over. And if you're not careful, you start moving towards that as that's the goal. Um, we probably take the time to think through how we want our life trajectory to go. How many people take an hour a week being aware of your heart, staring and continually thinking through, am, am I getting to the point where my heart's desiring things? Because we'll spend 60 hours pursuing what this guy has, 60 hours pursuing the success and all the, the dividends of that, but we don't spend 30 minutes warning our heart that, number one, if I give all my time to that, there's no time left for the kingdom. And number two, even if I gain all that, it may be complete emptiness and not satisfying. So Jesus lovingly says, be careful, because we're easily willing to, to take the time to gain the riches and wealth. And so you see this idea, you're either going to be spent, uh, spend your time on working on the things of this world and pursuing them, or spend your time on the things of eternal value, your soul and other people's soul. Um, someone has put it repeatedly in our discipleship studies. That um, So two things that will go on. So I don't know that this that will go on into eternity. I don't know that these stands. I don't know that any vehicles. I don't know if any dogs or cats, you know, if that destroys your whole life. Uh, dogs, cats, animals, uh, maybe there's better ones in heaven. I don't know that those are going to be resurrected. Um, the two things that we do know is God's word. There's repeated scriptures that are replete that God's word is going to go on to all eternity. And the souls of men and women. So everything else on this earth, we're not so sure of, but, but those two things. So are you spending your life investing in those two things that we know? Those are, are, those are keys, and that's what Jesus is bringing out here. And notice Jesus says every single kind, every form of covetous, covetousness. So, so greed and covetousness and, and lusting and desires, um, all those type things. All of that, he's saying all forms of that, be aware of that. You should be continually looking at that, or, or it's going to take your heart. And it's not a matter of your heart grabbing that. It's a matter of those things grabbing your heart and taking you off. So have you been aware of this idea that it actually feels good to sit down and covet and lust and want? Have you noticed that? That go, go walk in a new car lot. You got a, a rough car, or a bad looking car, just go walking around car. It feels good, doesn't it? Like I said, here's me, I, I'm a pastor and all these guys are spiritual dads and we're just taking pictures of this guy's backyard going, oh Lord, please let heaven be this nice. E even just a weekend to heaven. If it's this nice, we're all in, like we're good. And this is guys, these several guys have that on earth. And so it feels good. When I get stressed out, well, I've told you guys repeatedly, so when I, I notice if I'm going really, really hard for three or four um, uh, months or something, and then my mind just wants to escape, the first thing I'll go is I'll start looking at vacation places. And just that blue, crystal clear, wa clear water, it just feels good. And of course, then you'll be clicking on the ones that are, are reality for you, and then you kind of click on the one that would be like, well, I mean, you know, if, if, if I had every, you know, if I really, money wasn't a problem, I'd love this one, you know. Um, and so, same thing. It feels good to, to, to want and to lust. So, so think through this. The ease and the comfort that, that and it, would we even say the enjoyment that we get out of this dark friend covetousness? Jesus is going, you've got this 
dark, dark enemy in your heart, covetousness, all forms of it. And notice how easily that, that not only do we partake of it, that we even enjoy it without even realizing it. Coveting, lusting, desiring, it feels good. Um, the neighborhood we used to live in, uh, just you know, two or three months ago before we sold the house, um, they had one of those, Jamie was on one of those apps, it was a neighborhood watch, and they would put those warnings out. If I were to tell you, hey, this, this next week, Thanksgiving, everyone, there, there's several burglars or there's several dangerous people that are going to be in your neighborhood, what would you do? Would you just like, oh, it's not a big deal, it's not going to happen to me? You'd probably be aware and you would, you'd make sure all doors are locked, all cars are locked. Um, in our former neighborhood, uh, we would have times when some teenagers, or I don't think there was ever, uh, maybe a couple times when people were actually breaking in, usually it was just teenagers um, that were like going and seeing whose, whose car door was unlocked and they would either you know, hit their garage door opener and then go in and mess around. So some people would say, hey, there's stuff going on, people are breaking into garages, um, they could get in your house. And so so um, they'd also do warnings in our, that neighborhood about dogs because it was called White Hawk. And so they had big White Hawks, actually. That's a good name. And so they would, they, if people had little dogs, uh, those White Hawks would swoop down and literally just grasp and take off this little, you know, three-pound dog. And so these ladies would be on there like, we lost little Poofy. And, you know, then a White Hawk come and swoop down. Like, I was hanging meat off of our dog, like pushing him out the door, like getting tight out there, like trying to, like, is there sense that we could put away? Is there something that attracts White Hawks to Sorry, boys, he flew off with a bird. And so uh, if we were to put warnings out like that on other things, we would probably um, really, really be concerned if it concerned our worldly goods. But here Jesus says, concerning your soul, concerning your heart, let me warn you, let me warn you. And notice how we don't take it that seriously. In fact, we jump the fence and start enjoying those desires. Um, and just as a side note, is there any coincidence that, that that pleasurable hit of dopamine and the other chemicals that now we know, we've learned more in the last 20 years about the brain than they have in 2,000 years. And so that, that, that hit of dopamine that kids enjoy, that, that powerful strike at the brainstem for kids who are addicted to TikTok or games and just swiping, 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 it's, it's enjoyment to lust after things that we love or we would want to have or that we want to be like. In any, any coincidence there, that that's why these screens have occupied because it, they're showing now our brain gets a tiny, tiny dose. And what happens? We'll just shut it off. Uh, like any addict. I could, I just don't want to, right? Or how about adults? Billions and billions of dollars spent on algorithms and marketing to keep us wanting more. That enjoyable hit of pleasure in the brain while you scroll through news feeds, social media, coveting sites, billions and billions of dollars. There's a reason that the things keep popping up that agree with your political stance. Feels good, feels good, feels good. And if this political thing happens, financially, our country will be better. Feels good. Feels good. Feels good. We're fools sometimes. We look at little kids and go, little kid just can't turn this off. No, it's the same with adults. And we ask, is it really that big a deal, coveting? Can it really hurt us? Um, so the idea of covetousness, 
To covet is to desire something that is not yours. The Ten Commandments. We know one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet. And so just that idea, not even uh, the idea of, of, of making the top ten, you shall not, that's a big one. And we don't, we don't really think through the dangers that, they're, uh, that are there. The core of coveting and envy and all types of that, the idea that God has not provided what he should have. So I'll just lust and go after that thing over there until I acquire it. And what we're actually saying in that is, if I were God, since you didn't do a really good job of giving me what I want, if I were God, here's what I would do. And Jesus is saying, let me warn you that that will lead you into all kinds of destruction. Jesus knows that coveting in the heart, envy and jealousy, it leads to other sins. The danger of moving from heart desires to thoughts in your head to taking action. He knows that danger in the seed form of the heart leads to all sorts of soul-destroying actions. Just think through King David, Bathsheba. Lust and coveting leads, leads to evil plans and scheming. Now volitions, actions. Now sexual sin. Now more evil and scheming to cover it up. More lies and deceit, and now more evil scheming, and now more evil actions and murder. Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you've lusted with the eyes, you've already committed adultery. That's what he was getting to. I know where this would lead you. Um, you've heard that it was said, you shall not murder, but if you've had angry rage in your heart, you've already committed murder. So he knows under the right conditions, that's where our heart would take us. What would you do if all the conditions fell into place for you? What if it was to this scenario come about, something you kind of stumbled upon, maybe one person lets you know about it, this little loophole, and, and you were able to acquire a large amount of money that no one would find out about, even though it's unethical, and even illegal. How many guys, just guys and men and women who get into jobs and then all of a sudden this little bitty tiny crack in the door opens up to where acquiring lots of money, but actually no one's going to find out about it. Jesus is going, I know where that's going to take you. Have you, have you seen the scandals that have been going on with all of these people? Uh, these people that just made billions, even this week, the the you know, the the thirty year old, um, and, and just just multi hundreds of billions of dollars, and he loses it all. You see where greed and lust and desire and covetousness takes you. Um, maybe acquiring an intimate time with someone who's not your spouse, but no one would find out about it. One of my professors at Southern. He, he, he was teaching this class, and he, he was talking about how he said, you know, when I was in high school, I was never the guy that the women, the girls were really attracted to. I was never that you know, really good-looking guy. I never had that great physique. And then I go into college, and I just add some weight, and then I end up going into Bible school and become a professor. So he's like, I've never been that guy. And he said, I was at this conference, and we were, uh, I got used to kind of speaking at different places. And he said that um, we would go into these large cities and in large hotels. And, and he said, you know, I've, again, never been that attractive guy. Or he, he goes, and sure, I've written a few books, but he goes, never even like, I've 
I've never had anyone like, oh my gosh, I'm so attracted to you because of your incredible books or anything. And so he gets off, he goes to this uh, conference and he's speaking and then he uh, gets, goes to the elevator and they have a, like a three hour break in the afternoon. And then he um, gets off the elevator at this, you know, like 60 story hotel and he's walking down and he, he said, and, and to be honest, even that morning, just, you know, kind of the um, reality that we're in one of those business type environments and there's people at the hotel and there's people with our conference, but there were other um, focus groups and other thing, meetings going on and just professional women and they were dressed really nice and they looked really beautiful and they're intelligent. And they did all these things and they look all put together. And, and he goes, just, just, I'm aware of that. And so just kind of building and I get off the elevator and we got this three hour break and I'm walking down the hall and sure enough, right down the hall from about two doors down this long, long hallway, mine's at the very end. And there's, there's this woman just dressed to the hilt, beautiful, tall, um, long, beautiful hair. And as I keep walking down the hall, she's stuck at her door and she's messing with her door. And she, you know, I get close to my door and it's only two doors down. And she's like, excuse me, could you help me? I'm so bad with these things. And so he's like, Sure, I can be Superman. And so he takes her key, you know, he's thinking she's done something wrong. And so click, it just opens. So she's, oh my gosh. And so she, she opens the door. Before she takes the key, she turns around and says to him, for $500, if you want to come in, I'm yours for the whole day. And so he, my professor said, he dropped the key and just ran. He goes, I was like a four-year-old little boy, like, ah! Like he's like, I was not prepared for that. And he's like, uh, and so great story, but like, he wasn't prepared for that. In one decision, you can destroy everything. Satan and his minions would want you 20 years of your focused life for, for one moment uh, of a decision, one decision that you make. And so um, under the right conditions, Jesus is going, all covetousness, when you're not even expecting, when you're not even pursuing it, are you ready? Would you be willing to face that? Not, not if you're not aware. Not if you're not aware. When, hey, hey, listen, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to know. I think that our company is going to, I think we could really profit this way. It's just, we got to kind of keep it under the table. Hey, that lady, that, that man that you've been kind of a little bit attracted to, here comes this opportunity that you didn't even think about. Jesus is going, be aware of your heart. Continually be watching your heart. So, so Jesus is wanting to bring that out. Notice the statements he says there in verses 17 through 19. Um, he told this parable, the land, uh, this land, a rich, rich man who owned this land. Notice the statements that this guy says. He says, what shall I do? Notice the questions that he asks. Um, this man was asking the question to himself, right? What shall I do with all of these riches? Notice God was asking the same thing. And we don't, we don't even know that that's going on. This guy's not aware that God is asking the same thing. Hey, what would you do? I've blessed you repeatedly. There are so many people that have nothing, that have that one millionth of what you have. I've given you all this, all these resources, all these blessings, all of your ability, all your intelligence, all this. What shall you do with all I've provided for you? And we see very clearly there that this guy has no understanding of a generous God who as we sang earlier, like recklessly, seemingly recklessly pours out his grace on people who are undeserving. What shall I do? What would you do if God were to continue to bless? What if right now you are becoming 
what you will be, right? You, you are becoming that. So if, if you're a stingy heart on your time, your resources, your talents, your, your finances, then, then what, what happens? You're just building that every day. This man was looking at his life with worldly, self-serving eyes. God is looking at his life with kingdom eyes going, you, you completely miss the kingdom. The second thing he brings out, he brings out 14, I think it's about 14 times in this three or four sentence structure there. My, my, mine, me, mine, um, all my grain, all my goods. I will say to my soul, and God's saying, it doesn't actually look like you've understood anything because none of this is yours. I've given you these things to steward. He says, the third thing he says is, soul, you have ample goods stored up, laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And again, as I said earlier, this is kind of the path that we're looking for. If you're honest, that's kind of what we're wanting, right? To be successful enough to get to where we have ample goods, plenty, and we're not struggling for car payments or struggling for paying for food or, or afraid when a $500 um, bill comes in or the electric bill this month. But we want to get to that point where money's not even a problem. We have plenty laid back. It's what we're entitled to as American Christians sometimes. In fact, in, in our own city, it's, it's one of the biggest things is you're entitled to this mentality. Sometimes politically, you're entitled to this mentality. And Jesus is going, you need to be aware. You need to be aware. Continually be looking at your heart. He says, for many years, I'm going to have all this excess. And so here's all these people he could have been thinking about blessing. All these people he could have been um, continually helping and helping and helping, thinking of them, and he's not thinking of them at all. He's going all these years, and God says, you fool, tonight, there's not many years, tonight your soul is going to be required of you. So it's that, that word required, there's this reckoning day. Um, so we see there. Notice these idols that, that feel so good to us. Notice what this man has, success and security for years. Success to the point that you're free from working. So much financial security that, that you have complete freedom from stresses and worries and needs and even wants. What does success and security mean if it's outside of God's humbled identity for us? So this guy has all the success and security. And we, we, we take that. It could be success that God's given us and security and be thankful. And we exalt them and turn them into idols. It's a blessing from God that we exalt and turn into idols. Control and freedom. This is, again, this is another one where you, where you talk with those people that are um, on the, the retirement type stuff. Control and freedom. And, and the big, big selling points are like, hey, what, what $2.4 million house you want? They don't start with that, right? It's just like, hey, wouldn't you want some freedom to just, just freedom of your schedule? Aren't you tired of working for the man? Aren't you, wouldn't it be nice if you just had enough finance for just to be free? You see how we play on that. Control and freedom, complete control of everything, complete freedom, no job to go to, no boss to please, no schedule to deal with, no, no coworkers to deal with, no concern or worry about money and finances, nothing that you don't have and nothing that you can't afford. Again, this guy is who we want to be like. This is guys who we want to be exactly like. Comfort and pleasure. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So, so this guy 
is literally being shown from Jesus' point of view as the very dangers of those idols in our lives. Success. It's a wonderful thing if God's blessed you, but it turns into an idol. Um, Security, financial security, it turns into an idol. Control and freedom. Man, just just look at, think through, if you took 30 minutes sometimes and thought through the control factors that you like in your life, especially if you kind of lean more about being kind of a little more rigid and stuff, if you started to look through and just write on paper your control mechanisms, it, it, it's shocking. And anytime there's that much, it is a huge idol that you're bowing down to instead of resting and trusting in him. Comfort and pleasure, two of my favorites. Very, two of my very favorite. Like, who doesn't like comfort and pleasure? Um, this is sins of the heart that are masked, and they're masked and accepted in our society. Um, it's not as obvious and overt as drunkenness or drug use or you know, social media slander, right? Because all of those are obvious and scandalously sinful, right? Um, it's not as obvious and overt as, as proud parading of sexual immorality or licentious living or, or believing false gospels, right? Because all of those are so scandalously sinful, right? But, but this one. Me, just just good old work ethic. Just my intelligence partnered with good hard work ethic, and God is just blessed. Sometimes this person, they gain respect, they gain power, they gain position, and their impressive status overflows from the world into the church. Um, And just look around currently. This parable guy, he fits almost every person that, that's leading the way in our political system, in our political races, right? It's him. And for all the good, moral, upstanding you know, people, whether those are liberal or conservative, I wonder if this two-year stretch, this two-year little sprint that we're having until 2024, is it going to get messy and nasty? Because these guys in their own parties are going to start... And men and women are going to start turning on each other. But yet, they're the successful ones. Who are you going to put your betting money on? Who are you going to get behind and support? Jesus is going, hey, church, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. But we're okay with compromise, right? It's funny because, you know, we even sung, you know, the the, um, song earlier that, that, you know, Millions of Christians are like, oh, man, you're not even a true believer if you sing that song. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a firm stance on that. But, man, when it comes to these other things, we, we compromise lots of stuff as long as we feel like we're going to benefit in the end, right? We're going to benefit. We're going to benefit. As Christians, we're entitled to it. We compromise in lots of ways. It's accepted and celebrated. We like this guy. We want to be like him. So Jesus moves us from this radical reorientation to radical rest. Um, It gets challenging. Look what Jesus says here. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. So his point is life is not only about the temporal. He's bringing that out from from the man's question to the parable is like there's something about life. You're missing it. This guy in the parable missed this story. These are about our basic human survival needs. And Jesus now hits on those. Now, now I want you to notice, Jesus is not saying 
You shouldn't even worry about work. Don't even work. Don't even um, go and put in a good hard day's work. He's not saying this. Some people, they, they jump like, well, Jesus said we shouldn't worry about what we should eat or wear, so, so then therefore I, I just don't have to do anything. It's not give up and let God. He's not saying do not think about that. Do not provide for yourself. He's not saying that. There's a difference between godly and biblical sense of responsibility and an untrusting worldly view where you've got to provide everything without God completely. Um, and he goes into these two little um, illustrations, the ravens and the lilies. Have you thought through the birds? Just the birds. Um, the birds across the world, tomorrow for Monday, God has to provide enough food for all the birds of the world tomorrow. Have you thought through that, like how much that is? Just think through just the birds, the tiny little eaters. But tomorrow, we're not going to have literally 800 billion birds that just die off like, oh, gosh, God, I guess God had no food for them, right? And, and so think through every single day that all the different animals that, that are out there that God's going, I'm providing that. And so his point of using this in the lilies is to say, if, if he, God even cares for and provides for these animals and, and the, these small little um Things in the, the field, these lilies, how much more so one that's created in his own image? And notice what he goes to there, this idea of moving to radical rest in God's faithfulness. He says, your father sees you and knows exactly what you need. How much more will he clothe you, O little, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Notice that. Your father sees what you're going through. He knows exactly what you need. But instead of worrying about those things and working all your time and strategizing and planning and being so tight and rigid on all these things to control all this stuff because you're, oh, you've been worried and anxious about all that. No, instead, rest. He's got you covered. Rest and trust He's a good heavenly father. And notice what he says. He, he's a father who gives. Jesus purposely takes us from warning us from living for, for possessions and lust to living for the kingdom. And this is radical rest. Spend your life instead seeking the kingdom, living out the kingdom on this earth. And then in that last little section there when in verse 32 when he says, Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So he's taking us from radical rest now. If I move from uh, this reorientation of, of being so concerned about possessions and being so concerned about um, what I've got to provide for myself and provide and focused on that to radical reorientation to then radical rest in him, now it comes to the actual radical riches. He says there is a reward coming. And it's not on this temporal earth. Um, and again, I said earlier that we, we kind of like this idea and this challenge of, of this type of thinking. It sounds really cool, kind of living extreme for Jesus, um, the Jason born of, uh, of the Christian world. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that do not fail. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what is the kingdom? 
She says, live for the kingdom. And say, it's first of all, you having an identity instead of you having to work and do all these things on your own anxiety and your own striving and thinking of becoming this guy and wanting to have all of that to no, no, no. I'm concerned about the souls of people around me. And why? It flows out of the fact I'm brought into the new identity of the new kingdom that I've been made new because of what Christ has done in me. I have been brought into the kingdom, adopted into his family, adopted into God's family. And now we know in 2 Corinthians 5 and the Great Commission that you're an ambassador for Christ. Not only has he changed your heart and that you should be treasuring eternal things, but you want to be sharing that with others. I'm living for my new king. And if we're not careful, we're living for the old king, our, our self, for, for riches, for, for possessions, for whatever that is. Um, and he says, God not only sees you, and God not only knows what your needs are, God wants to give the kingdom. Not give that guy's backyard that all of us were filming. Not, 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 not the vehicles that you see. Not, not the houses that you feel like that you have to have. Uh, and all those things. This guy's not a fool because he's wealthy. Some guys are going to make widgets over here, and they're going to remain poor. Some guys are going to make widgets over here, and they're going to become billionaires. You're not a fool just because you're a billionaire. You're a fool if you don't understand that God is the one who gives, and God is the one who also requires that you would be a person living for the kingdom and living for him. So it's not if you have some money, or if you're successful, or if your career path happens to pay well that you're a bad person and evil. But if your heart is not noticing that you're not living for the kingdom and you're living for just yourself, that's the problem. So Jesus' intentions and his point with this guy interrupting him is that we spend our lives not in greedy covetousness, covetousness all forms, but in expending ourselves, our lives on eternal matters. As, as you reorient your life towards radical rest in him, your desires begin to change. So when's the last time that you've spent some time with someone and they ended up giving their life to Christ? How, how much would you pay for that compared to what, whatever item you've had your eye on for Black Friday? Wouldn't, wouldn't you trade that? Wouldn't you give up that Black Friday item, the new technology, the new whatever, the new vehicle, the new, if two people were ushered into the kingdom from you sharing your life with them? opening your life, spending time, spending your, your, your words, you're your opening up your home to them. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And not only just when people come to the Lord in, in faith and salvation, but, but in, in your giving, in your sacrificial giving, in your, your time, your talents, all those things, he's saying you're going to be rewarded in heaven because that's where your treasure's at. You've been transformed or now you're treasuring those things that God does see the little bitty things that you're doing. And he sees um, that you're living for the kingdom. Your desires change. Life begins to be about him and the kingdom. And that radical rest leads you to living for eternal things, becoming rich towards God, radical riches stored up in heaven. And that is what Jesus says. That is what life is because where your treasure is, that's where you're going to be satisfied and fulfilled. And I think most of us have, have tasted and seen about the things in the world, and they, and they just don't satisfy. They just don't satisfy. Um, whatever that item is that you waited two months to finally get or six months to finally get, and you get it, and two days, two months later, 
It's not as fulfilling and satisfying. And yet we'll get in that cul-de-sac and just walk around the circle thinking that the next thing, the next thing is going to finally fulfill, finally fulfill. And we're just empty on the inside instead of living for the kingdom. So that's what Jesus brings us to through this beautiful um, uh, parable. Uh, I hope it's been for you. I hope it's been good for your soul. Again, he, he keeps me on this for the last eight or nine months. Um, I keep on wanting to check out and, and check out on it and like, hey, I, I think we're done with this one. Let's let's move on to next one. Can we can we go on to one a little bit different? And so he just keeps me going through this. And so um, I, I pray that that your hearts would be open to that as well. Let me pray, and then uh, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. Father, um, we do come to you confessing that we probably want to be like the guy in the parable, that we probably esteem him and value him and maybe even um, idolize him. We think, how could I be like that? How could I get to that point? And yet, Jesus, we see your life was completely different. You, you modeled and exampled complete kingdom living for us. You inaugurated the kingdom, and you took on suffering and as you went through your 33 years, you got less and less and less. And you lost and lost and lost. But in that, you gained eternity for all of us in your death on the cross. We thank you that you have um, brought us to that reality and that understanding. I pray for those who are here that, that, that uh, maybe in the past they've thought they had that understanding, that thought that they um, understood that, that, that gospel principle but it's completely escaped them. Their life shows no fruit of that. Their life shows they haven't understood the grace that you've given. I pray for those right now. I pray for the believers in the room that are um, maybe struggling with this covetousness in all forms, whether that's lusts and desires, greed, always thinking and thinking and thinking about worldly stuff, success, position, status, prosperity, God, it's such a lie. Ten seconds into eternity, we know that we will realize what we should have been living for. So would you change us? Would you transform our hearts to where we're in line with what Jesus lays out for us here? Would you remind us that we can't do it on our own? It's not just a one-time decision, but we need you daily as the new beautiful idols pop up every morning. We pray that you would strengthen us. As you go into the Lord's Supper, would you be worshiped in that as we partake? In your name we pray. Amen.